together. grace and peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Let's turn and greet one another.
welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church on this third Sunday of Advent, and we're so glad that you're here with us. Especially if you're visiting us, we'd lo love to have you take a friendship pad that's in each pew near the center aisle, fill it out and let us know you're here, and then pass it down the road so other people can do that too. You can see the announcements in the life of the church that are inside of your bulletin in our connections. If you look at the front of it, it always tells you what's coming up this week. Hmm... Looks like we've done a whole lot of the, of the Christmas stuff already and the Advent stuff already. But the big news is that next Sunday, in both services, our children will be doing their children's musical, and then Gareth will be preaching based on what they did. So he has to listen really well so that he can punt right after that and do a sermon about what they did. It is a wonderful Sunday when we, the children do this, and you get a little taste of it today because they're going to do just a very brief part of it. Their, their Christmas musical is Sheep in Heavenly Peace. So you got to come and see the sheep in heavenly peace. Are you going to be sheep? Are any of you going to dress like sheep? Yeah? Oh, we got some people dressing like sheep. It's going to be great. Yeah. Um, today out on the patio, there are opportunities to sign up for various ways in which you can give to people in need during this Advent and Christmas season. We're also signing up for the Alpha program, which is a chance to explore Christian faith and be able to have a good conversation in an open and accepting environment. And uh, you can get more information out there on the patio about that. Also, our MOPS group, Mothers of Preschoolers, is signing up for the spring semester. You can go online to do that. Our Christmas Eve services this year are different. They are 2 and 4 and 6 and 8. The 2 and the 4 are very child-oriented with a puppet show, and the 6 and the 8 are more adult-oriented with no child care during the 6 and the 8. We offer Bethlehem Village at the 2 o'clock and 4 o'clock for children after the puppet show, and there's somebody out on the patio with a tree uh, with some things hanging on it that you could take as something that you would bring to help out Bethlehem Village. I mean, I think I saw a jar of olives and rosemary, you know, things like that that they need as part of Bethlehem Village. And they have that out there during the break today, too. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Let's pray. Holy God, we gather before you this third Sunday of Advent with anticipation for your coming among us. You come into the darkness with the brightness of your love. And we scarcely recognize you. We who yearn for your coming so easily miss your loving presence. So we would be awake this season and this morning, alert to recognize you in all the ways that you come to us and eager to join the heights of heaven in adoring you. Amen. punctuated by joy, Mary proclaimed, My soul magnifies the Lord, 
and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name.
God of peace, majesty and glory, we hunger for your presence, we thirst for your grace. 
God of promise, you are the one who makes a way for us in the tough times in the wilderness. Forgive us for not heading down the paths with you, for we often go in the opposite direction. When we hide from your presence and we do not listen to your word, forgive us. When you invite us to come to the dance and be a part of your joy, we all too often choose to say no. And we move in lifelessness and joylessness. Strengthen our weak hands and our feeble knees. Speak your hope, peace, and joy into our fearful hearts. Guide us to walk in the way of Jesus Christ, who is Emmanuel. For you are a God on our side, a God with us. Hear now our personal confessions. Amen. And so let the desert rejoice, and let the dry land be glad, for God in Christ has come to save us. Return to the joy of the Lord and gladness. Sing a song of redemption. Let sorrow and sign be no more. For in Jesus Christ we are forgiven. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. Amen.
It's a great anthem for Joy Sunday. For out of a tiny planet circling an average star, Creator God has birthed a child. I love that. The scripture this morning is from Isaiah chapter 35, beginning with verse 1. Hear the word of God. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. And they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. <clears throat> the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yesterday we had the memorial service for Barbara Stroop, and there were wonderful stories about her life and about uh, how she showed love to people. My dad was quite a storyteller. And in, he lived to be 100, and in the last few years of his life, there's one story that he particularly told again and again and again. I think that's because it was to him a very important story, and because I think it is this big story that framed his life, even though he probably didn't realize it at the time. When Dad was not, your, not yet school age, his mother inherited a farm in Colorado. Now, this was a dry farm, which means that it depended upon rain. It had no wells, and it didn't have any access to public water like we have from the canals in California. So everything depended upon the weather. And you can predict what happened. The first year, they planted sugar beets, and the rain didn't come. The sugar beets dried up. There was no produce from the farm. The next year, they got clever and planted wheat. And that year, it hailed, and the wheat was completely destroyed. The way my dad said it, the farm went bust. And so, his father headed to California to find work. Some months later, his mother put the four children with herself on the train and came to California. That's a very big story, the big part of that story. My, parents, uh, my, my grandparents and my dad were early settlers in Tustin, and my dad was an early graduate of Tustin High. 
My grandfather reinvented himself as a carpenter and never tried to farm again. I think the story was important to my dad because I think what it said to him was, even in the midst of life going bust, our family bounces back. We are resilient. We reinvent ourselves. He lived to be 100, and those last five years, he had to do a lot of bouncing back. It's a hard time. Now, the rest of the story that my dad didn't tell was, as an adult, my dad didn't set out to be a farmer. Why would he? But after years of, growing, of owning a small grocery store in Anaheim, he sold it, and he bought an orange grove, and he moved his family to Central California, to Porterville, including me, and he farmed not a dry farm. He farmed oranges with two deep wells, no access to public water, and he loved to farm. He produced probably the best oranges you would ever eat. The last year of his life was the height of the drought in California. Orange groves that didn't have deep wells, as he had, absolutely went dry. There was no public water. It was cut off. So to drive to his house, we would drive by dozens, uh, maybe not hundreds, but at least dozens of groves that had been torn up, they had completely dried up, and the roots were facing up, just waiting to be dry enough to be uh, cleared off as dry land, as clear land, and sold as bare land. Though Dad had water and he had a good crop, we sold the farm that year because buyers were less and less willing to put money into a farm in California because nobody knew what the drought would do. We were afraid that the price would bottom out. So drought brought changes in his life right at the beginning of his life and at the end of his life. His life was very much about drought and water. I don't know if he ever made a connection between the dry, the dry farm going bust and his own farming later in life. I've got to think that there was some connection there. I think it was part of that big story that framed his life. The poem that I read from Isaiah today is a word picture of God's big story. It's a story that's also told in terms of drought and water, like we know so well in California. And you are part of that story. In this story, God has come to save all of creation in all the ways that things are not the way they're supposed to be. God is working to bring his perfect shalom, his wholeness, his putting everything right, his healing, his bringing wholeness to humanity and to nature. And Isaiah paints it in a lush picture. All of nature is breaking out over the top in abundance. There is water where there's never been water before in all of the deserts and the barren wasteland is covered with super bloom. People are singing and dancing and those with disabilities are healed and join in the celebration. Nothing can stand in the way of God putting everything right. This poem is both the big picture 
of God's work in the world. And it's also a specific promise to his people, Judah. Because the on-the-ground rea on reality for them was very bleak. It was far from the way it's supposed to be. Judah had been conquered by Babylon, taken into captivity. Jerusalem and the temple, the very center of their relationship with God, had been burned to the ground. And people had been dragged off as prisoners of war. Some had been wounded. Some had been mutilated in that process. Some had been intentionally blinded, as had been their king, Zedadiah. Zedekiah. They are desolate and they are grieving and they're feeling deserted by God. They feel like there is no hope for the future. But their wounds and their defeat are not the whole story because God is at work behind the scenes to do the unthinkable. He says, do not fear. I'm making a way into the future for you. I will lead you home. My ransomed and redeemed people. I will take you back to Jerusalem on a highway that's so wide that even a fool can't miss it. Surrounded by the super bloom of all of my blessings. To return home was a wonder that they never could have ever imagined. In the church, we read those words ransomed and redeemed in a, in a spiritual meaning. However, in this place, it's more of a political meaning. It's not, they have not, they have been bought back from their captors. God has bought them back and set them free. It's not something they could do for themselves. Only God could ransom them. And the people of God become the redeemed people of God and it transforms their lives and their futures some of them do return to Jerusalem and begin the very hard work of rebuilding there they are part of a great chapter of God's work of restoration this passage reminds me of what it was like in the years when they were improving the Laguna Canyon Road what was that 15 years ago when they widened it and they straightened it out. I drive the canyon every day to work. And during that time, it was a mess. You could, there was no beauty to see because all you could see was all of the construction equipment. Everything was dug up. It was lousy. We waited a long time, lots of delays, terrible commute. However, with all of that digging up of the earth, it seems that one of the things that happened is that the wildflower seeds were dug up and then the spring rain watered them. And so by spring, driving down the road on each side of the road, I was just lined with amazing wildflowers. I kept thinking somebody had done it on purpose. Isn't this nice that they did this on purpose? But no, the rains and the drought and the dryness and digging it up had done that. About 500 years after the story that's in Isaiah, after the people were beginning to return to Jerusalem, John the Baptist set, sent some of his disciples to ask Jesus if he was the Messiah, if he is the one that is supposed to come. 
And Jesus pointed to this passage in Isaiah, and he said, look, this is coming true in what I'm doing. You can see that the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the deaf hear. Creation obeys my voice. God's big story of restoration is at work here through me. The miracles you see are not just random events. They are the kingdom of God. They are the restoration of God breaking into human history in unlikely places like flowers in the desert, bringing healing and bringing reconciliation and bringing God's perfect shalom that will someday be complete. God is saving not only individual souls, but he's also doing a bigger picture. He is saving all of humanity and even nature so that the whole world, which once groaned, will one day burst forth in praise. We sing it in joy to the world, and I think it's the only Christmas carol that captures it. No more let sins or sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessing flow far as the curse is found. Let heaven and nature sing. When I went to look at it, almost every verse of Joy to the World captures not only the redeeming of people, but of all of creation. So for Advent, what would it look like if we took God's big story seriously? What if we prayed for eyes to recognize even the little ways, the subtle ways that God is at work around us, the little signs of God's big story, watching to see God do the unexpected, even in the face of our own on-the-ground realities of things that are not the way they're supposed to be. I want to talk about just two of those realities. The first of them is fear. Beginning of Advent this year, Michael Gershon wrote an editorial in the Washington Post and called readers to give up fear for Advent. He recognized that America's political culture is dominated by fear, that there is a widespread feeling in both Republicans and Democrats that the country is in a downward trajectory. One side fears that if we elect, re-elect President Trump, it would bring disaster and the end of America as we know it. The other side has the opposite opinion, and we're probably split about evenly here. It sees President Trump as the only thing that is standing between us and absolute ruin and anti-religious persecution. You've seen those desperate, fear-based advertisements trying to get you to give money, haven't you? If you don't give money to this now, the apocalypse is going to happen any day. Our politics seem to be more about avoiding nightmares than they are about following dreams. And Gershon writes that sustaining this type of fear for long periods is like putting arsenic in your salt shaker. It is a self-administered poison because it undermines your mental and your physical health. 
Maybe you carry other fears too, besides political ones. They say it helps to name what we fear. Do you even know what it is that you're afraid of? Is it something for your children or for other people that you love? Is it about your health? Is it about your fear of making a mistake, uh, of failure, a fear of disappointing somebody, maybe a fear of being alone? It certainly doesn't help if you feed your fears. I am afraid of heights, and so it is an absolute no-brainer that I do not go on Ferris wheels or stand near the edge of tall buildings, lookouts. I realize how much listening to the news feeds my fear. So I listen to it less than I used to. But Isaiah and Michael Gershon have a different way to deal with fear. He writes, fear is deeply at odds with Advent because Advent tells us that tra the trajectory of history is tilted upward by a powerful hand. God's big story, that God is mysteriously at work in the world, and that evil and conflict are real, but not ultimate. It will not always be this way. Grace and deliverance are not here yet, but they are certain. So embracing God's big story of restoration, he says, is an antidote to our fear. Because it changes our perspective. It lets us see the big picture of what's going on. And it gives us courage. The second on the ground reality that I'd like to talk about is drought. Not physical drought. Emotional drought. Spiritual drought. Where in your life do you feel dry? What is it that you thirst for? Is it love? Is it friends? Is it more of God? And how are you trying to quench that thirst? I've read that drought is sometimes a precursor to super bloom. In March this last year, the conditions for super bloom were just right. The drought had killed the invasive grasses that would otherwise crowd out the wildflowers and keep them from blooming. And then we had a super wet winter. And with the grasses dead from the drought and all that water, the wildflowers absolutely went crazy. And people went to see the super bloom and stopped traffic for hours because it was absolutely such an amazing sight. Sometimes things need to get very difficult for me before I'm willing to make a change. Maybe your own drought, as painful as it is, is somehow clearing the way for something else that God wants to do. Maybe even a season of super bloom for you. Gareth reminded the staff this week that we are in a community that many people consider to be a dry place for the gospel. How might God want to bring the water of his love through us to people in the community? 
We have seen some of that in the last few weeks. Typical things that we do at Christmas time and Advent. Hospitality night, a party for our La Playa folks, homeless breakfast yesterday. In our congregational study, we considered what part of God's restoration of the world Laguna is particularly thirsty for. What particularly do people long for here that would be part of that restoration by God? Healthy kids and families is certainly one of the things that we've identified. Our preschool and our MOPS Mothers of Preschoolers program are not just ways to get people to come to church. But through those programs, building healthy kids and healthy families for the community is a ministry that's worth it in itself because it's a part of God's great plan of restoring even that part of society, whether they come to worship or not. We believe that God is inviting us also to some new things that we've never tried in quite this same way before. One of them is a new a startup for our Alpha program, a chance for people to explore Christian faith. Maybe that's for you. Maybe it's for somebody that you know that would need to come to that. And we're starting a new parenting program in March, particularly focused on the parenting of preschool children. We hope that that will grow, and we will eventually have programs for different ages, parents with different ages of children. Where else might God be inviting you to be part of his big story? To be an agent of healing and promise. To sow seeds of hope and restoration. Let's pray. O God of Shalom, you know the thirsts and the fears of our community and of our own lives. You know the places where things are not as they should be. Places where hope eludes us. Where we have trouble seeing your hand at work. And so we pray for eyes to recognize your healing and restoration. Even as we ask you to use us as part of your work in the world. And gracious God. We do ask for help to be people of hope in the midst of a world that is full of gloom. Help us to choose to engage the good news and not the bad news. Help us to be people who walk in the way of Jesus, who are part of your healing in a hurting world. Help us when we have the opportunity to affirm that we don't turn to attack. Help us when we are tempted to complain that we look for the place of joy. Help us when we are preoccupied with the woeful way of our world to wonder at the beauty of your creation. In this coming election year, teach us to be a people who are present as gracious human beings in the midst of battle. That we would not contribute to the polarization of humanity, but that we would contribute to bringing people together 
around your gracious presence. We pray, Lord, for the peoples of the earth that are wandering without homes, without countries, without a place to be a center of peace. Help us to be a people here in this church that give the wandering a center of love. O Lord, as our pastor nominating committee continues to search for a pastor, may you grant them a deep sense of your presence that they might see the possibility of who you call. And so in all things, Lord, we ask that you would teach us the way of prayer in the spirit of Jesus who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We are blessed to hear from our co-chair of the Pastor Nominating Committee this morning and a report by Jim Wogulis. Jim, he comes from outside and the transept, right? Okay, pulpit. Good morning, everyone. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jim Wagulis, and together with Virginia Grogan, we are the co-chairs of the Pastor Nominating Committee, also known as the PNC. You'll see it written this way in the bulletin. Unfortunately, Virginia is out of town this weekend, but we had some new information we wanted to share with you and keep you up to date on what's going on in our process to find a new senior pastor for this church. Um, as you may recall, on September 29th, you, the congregation, voted in a slate of 12 members of this church to be on the pastor nominating committee. And fundamentally, our job is to nominate a candidate that the congregation you will elect and hire as our new senior pastor. In addition to these 12 members of the church who are on the PNC, we have a liaison from the Presbytery, Jim Zeiler, who's senior pastor at Laguna Niguel Presbyterian Church, who is helping us through this process, and he has been a real blessing to us. It's wonderful to work with. Upon its formation, uh, early October, right after the, you voted us in, uh, we immediately went to work, understanding the process, forming our leadership within the team, and figuring out what's gonna, what's required to, to, to move this process forward. Central to this task, and the first, the first aspect here is creating what's known as our mission information form, aka MIF. It's kind of a strange <laughs> acronym. Um, you can think of this somewhat as a job description, but it goes into much more detail than that. It talks about our church, what we're looking for, the qualities we want in a senior pastor. Um, and to form this, to write this statement, uh, it's, we've used all the results from the mission studies that were conducted by multiple teams here over this past year. Um, in order to officially make this job posting available, um, it's required that both our session for the church and the Commit Committee on Ministry of the Presbytery have to approve this mission information form. 
On uh, November 19th, our session approved the form, followed by approval on December 5th from the com uh, Committee on Ministry, with only minor changes suggested, which, which I'm told was, was quite an accomplishment. <laughs> um, and the significant thing that I'm really happy to report is this last Wednesday, we have officially posted the, uh, the opportunity on the PCUSA's site for, for this purpose. Um, this is a really significant uh, milestone. It really begins the rest of the process. It may have seemed like it's taken a while, a couple of months to get here, but there's process and discernment and the creation of this, of this myth for us to, um, to be able to, to do this. Uh, these are these are available online with a little bit of searching. We plan to get uh, we plan to get this posted on our website as well. You can go to PCUSA and find this find this information there. So now I think we enter our longest and most challenging uh, phase of the process, which is reviewing candidates for this position. Uh, the PCUSA provides an initial match of what we're looking for with people who are interested and, and give us a number of names to look at. They don't know that we're looking at them, but uh, that we're considering them unless we reached out. But probably equally or more important are those who, who, who understand this opening and feel a call to come here and who are initiating the process themselves and applying. Um, and just in these last few days, we've already had numerous uh, people express interest, send resumes and their information. Um, which, is, which has been great to see, especially in this, this time of year. It's pretty, uh, pretty busy. A um, couple things. I wanted to stress that this process is highly confidential, uh, and there are many details we simply cannot share outside of the PNC. Um, importantly, we can make no comments or acknowledgments on who has or who has not applied for the position. It would violate the privacy of those individuals, and it could have an undue influence on the PNC's operation itself. But you as individuals should be free, feel free to let anybody know that you think is a good candidate, that this opening is available and, and put them in touch with, with, the, with the nominating committee. Um, as this process moves forward, we will periodically share at regular intervals sort of what we can, information up to date, where we are in the process, um, and share what information we can. Um, I know it's an anxious time, and it's, it's going to be, you know, it's going to take a while to get through all this, uh, but please be patient and know that we, the PNC, is working very hard on this and continually praying for our church and to understand God's will for our future. Thank you. Thank you, Jim, and thank you, Pastor Nominating Committee. Well, already we've had a number of people respond to the end of the year sense of the gap between what we have received and what we need to end the year in the black. And so we are well on the way to making up that gap of $400,000 in the month of December. We have a couple more hundred thousand to go. So we encourage you to give freely in this month and also to consider if you have not already turned in your pledge card for next year, what the 2020 vision is calling you to commit to for the coming year. For it is a way to symbolize your commitment to the pastor nominating committee and to the process while we are in this transition. To look for the good news and not to settle on the concerns. 
And so God bless you as you give and as you plan to give. Amen.
And so God, move our hearts to make haste, to be sacrificial in how we give of ourselves and what you have given to us in resources, that your kingdom might flourish in the midst of the world that is struggling. And so we commit these gifts and ourselves to your service. In Christ we pray. Amen. You're all fleeing to the other side. (laughs) You're fleeing to the same direction. So this week, how about giving up fear for Advent? Can you do it? Living into God's big story. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Amen.